I'd like to read a, a really, really beautiful and important passage in um, John's Gospel, chapter 17. Um, this is uh, among the things that Jesus said uh, in the upper room and then on the way, ultimately, to Gethsemane, where he would pray to the Father, uh, he'd be arrested, he'd be taken away, and ultimately the next day he'd be crucified. Well, the passage begins in, in, in John 17 by saying, when Jesus had spoken these words... Those words being everything that came prior in chapters 13 through 16, having to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit, all of these various things that Jesus spoke very specifically and intentionally about because he knew his time was now short. Uh, He was going to be taken from them, and he would not see them again until after he rose from the dead. And so this is a very, very important time as he invests in a final way prior to his death in his disciples, these closest, these apostles that were with him, save Judas, who had gone at this point to go and betray him. And so with the 11 remaining, he is spending time investing in them. And he says these words as he prays to the Father uh, before them and in their midst. And he says these things. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, and with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that it is everything, they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All are mine, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these I speak; these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world." And for their sake, I consecrate myself or set myself apart, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all, uh, they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So the world may know that you sent me and loved me, that love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Absolutely breathtaking prayer. And uh, it is worthy of many, many weeks of study and, and digging into. But there is one particular theme that I'd like to key in on today. And it begins very, very early in the prayer when it becomes very clear that Jesus has called a people out of the world. His disciples, those who've believed in him and those who would one day believe in him through their words, are part of a group of people that God has called out of the world. Um, For lack of a less clumsy way to put it, but with some intention, there is an us and them kind of a thing built into this. There are those that are redeemed and there are those that are part of the world. There are those that are of the world and those that are not of the world. Now, typically, when we think of an us and them, we think of the idea maybe in our current context of those who maybe got the shot, those who didn't. And the way that those who don't get the shot are often seen as outsiders who are bucking the system or don't care about other people or some kind of thing. But there's various versions of us and them. One day, there will be an us and them in regard to the mark of the beast. There will be those who in that day will succumb to the deception of the wicked one and ultimately fall to the delusion that God sent these folks because they have rejected the love of the truth. And ultimately, they will take the mark and be condemned. And they will look at those outside of this global system under Antichrist as them. There is us who are part of the system and them who are outside. There is in many ways, uh, always been, uh, there has always been an us and them. Uh, There has always been a sense in which believers have not been of this world. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, it speaks about those of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, Those who gave up homes and, and, and traveled long distances and left their homelands and endured persecutions and sufferings and such uh, for the sake of the coming Messiah, for the truth of God, living by faith and ultimately dying for their faith. There's always been an us in them. Uh, I don't love that, but it's the reality of things. And it's rooted in the idea that we are called to believe the truth. I've asked the question from time to time, and I've, I've asked it because I've heard it in, in the past, and people have talked about this, but why are we Christians? Why are we followers of Jesus? Because it's true, ultimately. Uh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, that's either true or it's not. And of course, if it's not true, we shouldn't waste time believing it. We should find something else to hang our head on. But if it is true, then it changes everything. It is fundamental to everything else in our lives and in our world. It matters both in time and eternity. It is the weightiest of all possible binary choices. Uh, It is either true or it's not. Jesus describes an us and them scenario there. There are those that uh, have been given to him by the Father, those who have believed the truth, those who have ultimately come to put their trust in Christ, This is what it means to know God, is to know the one he has sent. This is what it means to love God, is to love whom he sent. This is the work of God, that we believe in him whom he sent. 
And so for those of us who do believe that, who do come in behind Christ, who do believe in what he accomplished for mankind on the cross, having died for our sins, having rose from the dead, he has called us now to live lives committed to him and away from the world. Even as he said in this very prayer, and again, these were among the very last things that Jesus taught his disciples before he ultimately was arrested and then ultimately condemned to death. And among those things was a clear sense of praying for those who were not of the world, but rather belonged to the Lord. I think it's important for us in our day to recognize um, that choice and the implications of it. Jesus certainly spent a lot of time in his earthly ministry talking about this. He talked about those who uh, would put their hands to the plow but keep looking behind were not worthy of him. He talked about the foolishness of going to war but not counting the cost or building a structure and not counting the cost and leaving it unfinished. He talked about how nobody does that. And he applied that concept to what it means to follow Jesus. You're either in or you're not is basically the, the message in that. And I think for many of us who are believers, and probably in terms of the, the culture and the comforts that come with it, that level of commitment, uh, which is not, you know, our salvation is not our works. Again, I always want to be careful not to mislead in that regard. I'm not preaching or teaching or talking even about on any level that our salvation is based on our works. But once we come to faith, once we are redeemed, that means something to us. It actually means everything to us, or it should. And if it does, then there's fruit that comes from that. There is evidence of that. There's an effect that takes place because of that cause. Uh, The fact that Christ now resides within us, that the Holy Spirit lives within us and continually is refining us and making us more like Jesus insofar as we permit him that. Now, we're not more powerful than the Holy Spirit, but to the degree that we experience that separation unto God, which is what the whole concept of sanctification is about, being further and further made like Jesus and therefore less and less like the world around us, it demonstrates the very point of what Jesus was talking about in John 17, that we are in the world, but by no means are we any more of it. Paul would speak about it in terms of being an ambassador for Christ. Uh, that old things have pa- because we're new in Christ and old things have passed away and all things become new, it therefore necessarily makes sense that we take our new citizenship uh, seriously and we recognize the role and the job that we have as ambassadors to this place, this world that we live in. Inherent in that thinking is the idea that we're not really from here anymore. Again, as Jesus said, we're in the world, but we're not really of it anymore. And so when we're confronted with sort of the negative side of the us and them. Uh, And of course, this will become something that is more and more of an issue as time goes by. The more we um, live out our Christian faith, the more we make the gospel known, the more we seek to reflect Jesus. As Jesus said, if they hated him, they'll certainly hate us too. The reason, of course, again, being that we're not of this world. The God of this world is very, very particular about his subjects, just like Jesus is. The God of this world is creating a world that is completely and diametrically opposed to the kingdom of Christ that is one day coming. When we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the amount of radical change that that is requesting is beyond anything we could probably even 
understand at this point. Literally every system, every uh, political counter perspective, all of the things that are tied to that is going to end as the kingdom of Christ comes. In other words, it will be radical in the most profound definition of the term. We need to be okay with that. We need to want that. We need to be willing to um, endure the, the, the wrong looks, the name calling, even the very physical persecution that may accompany being a citizen of another nation in a hostile territory. And how we respond to that matters. You know, it, it requires us to take a sense of priority that supersedes all others, one that truly is desiring the kingdom of God to come one that is truly desiring to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven, Uh, and understanding that that's not going to happen within a current uh, manifold manifestation of political systems that are fundamentally, in most cases, moving very, very far away from it, and even in our own, though founded on many principles that we would hold dear, biblically speaking, um, really are falling apart all around us. And God hasn't called us to prop up a dying system in a dying world. He's called us to stick our hand, roll up our sleeves, get our hands dirty, and get busy about the search and rescue mission that is involved in that. And we're only going to do that if we recognize that we're the on the other side in the S and M equation. We truly are a different people than the world around us, and our desire is to see people leave that world behind and join this world and this coming kingdom that is going to manifest one day. And so Jesus. Again, just to kind of bring this full circle, Jesus very particularly prayed that very point throughout this prayer in John 17, these, among these last, you know, among the last words that Jesus would share with his disciples in all of their hearing. Matter of fact, he would make the point um, to Pilate when he would stand before him, when Pilate would recognize, oh, so you're a king. And Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, Pilate's response was to Jesus saying, if if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would come and fight. The idea is that he is a king, but this world is someone else's kingdom. Again, we're ambassadors in it. We are in the world, but we are not of it. As often as I really, as I read that, I so wish Jesus would have not prayed. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, Father, but that you guard them from the evil one. I so wish you would have said, Lord, I wish you would take them out the minute they get saved. It's not what he prayed. You and I are here for such a time as this, and our full recognition of all that that means will come when we recognize that we're not of this world. We're just simply in it. And so may we be counted among those uh, the number of those spoken of in, say, Hebrews 11, uh, those who are willing to sort of leave behind the entanglements and the temptations and the draw of this world and recognize that we are actually making our way toward a city built without hands, toward a coming kingdom, toward a coming king who will one day rule and reign and we will stand alongside of him and even sit alongside of him in that kingdom. May it be so soon and may our hearts be drawn to that and less and less drawn to the world that we are no longer of. Father, we just pray that you would help us to settle these issues in our hearts, that in our entire approach to this world, we would see it through the lens of that which is yet to come. The ancient of days is coming to establish a kingdom. 
The rock cut without hands is going to destroy the kingdoms of this world, and one day they will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This we know is sure. So we pray that we would walk in the confidence, the knowledge, and the expectation of that day, and that that would affect how we view and how we interact, how we live in this day. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved us out of this world, and even though we're in it, we are truly no longer of it. So, Father, again, let these truths manifest themselves in our hearts and our minds and cause us to think differently about our lives today. We want to please you. We want to bless you. We look with anticipation to seeing you. And Father, we just ask that you lead us by the hand into a deeper place with you and a farther away place from this world. We love you, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.